Hello, Marvelites who are listening to Marvel's pull list for new Marvel Comics on sale December 14th, 2022. And I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm flying solo this week. But don't worry, Jasmine will be joining us later in the show for our reading club. Get ready for more me than you can handle, at least for part of the show, because we've got a lot to get to. Actually, it's interesting. This week, we do not have nearly as many issues out as we did last week. Uh, I'm breaking some of the rules in the picks of the week and all that stuff, because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we talk about all the new issues out each week. I've got four, count them, four picks this week because I'm unhinged and I do what I want, baby. And then we're going to give out some awards. We're going to get a little bit of insight from the community. That's you, dear listeners. Then we'll talk about the other comics out this week where I give out those awards. I'll tell you what collections are on sale this week. What Infinity Comics, those exclusive scrolling comics you can only read on Marvel Unlimited, what those issues are this week, as well as all the other issues hitting Marvel Unlimited. There is a lot to read. Don't get me wrong. If you are reading on MU, you've got a bounty ahead of you, Uh, especially if you are catching up with our reading club, because this week we have on artist David Nakayama, who is a ding dang delight. David is here to discuss with us X-Men Fearless, which is the first six issues of the current run of X-Men comics by writer Jerry Duggan. Artists Pepe Larraz, Javier Pina, and Zay Carlos. It's so good. It gets better with age. The more I read it, the more I love it. But we're going to get into that with David a bit later. For now, though, let's dive into the picks of the week. And as I said, uh, I'm just, you know, doing what I want. I wanted to choose four issues, particularly because the first two I'm going to talk about are kind of tied together. Um, we have two dark web tie-in issues this week. They are, of course, part of the Dark Web event that's happening right now. You've got Spider-Man and the X-Men dealing with their big clone problems. That's Madeline Pryor, clone of Jean Grey, and Ben Riley, clone of Peter Parker. And a lot of magic, a lot of mayhem. And so, in Amazing Spider-Man issue number 15, that's our first pick of the week, it is written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGuinness and Cliff Rathburn, with colors by Marcio Meniz and lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. It's one of the funniest, wildest issues we have right now. If you wanted a comic in which a sort of like devolved back to his very 90s self Venom kisses a baby with little hearts around the the panel, this is the comic for you. It's wild. It is very silly in some ways, but also very scary in others. This, of course, takes a lot of uh, hints from the original Inferno comic series from the 1980s, in which the demons of Limbo came to New York City and started corrupting things. And so you get a lot of that. You want talking baby carriages hoping to eat children. Yes, that's in here. You want mailboxes eating people. Yes, that's in here. You want Venom and Spidey going at it. Yes, you've got Ms. Marvel showing up. There's a whole bunch of things. I love... Ed McGinnis, the artist here, he draws bulky, big, like just very intense muscular characters, maybe better than anyone else for my money. Just the way he draws classic Venom is so cool. But then you get to see him draw Spider-Man and Chasm, a.k.a. Ben Riley, clone of Peter Parker. They are muscular without being big beefcakes. I know Ed, he's a pal, and he loves wrestling, so I can see the wrestling influences on the way he draws anatomy and the way he does movement and action. 
I'm looking at a panel right here of screaming Christmas trees. Zebwell's having a blast with the demonic possessed elements throughout all of this. It's funny. It's spooky. It's scary. It is just gorgeous. It is one of my favorite issues. And it connects very, very closely to Dark Web X-Men number one, my other pick of the week. That's why they're really so closely tied. Scenes from one kind of dovetail into the scenes from the other, which is why I wanted to bring them both up. And Dark Web X-Men number one is written by Jerry Duggan with art by Rod Reese with VCs Corey Pettit on the lettering. So it is a very different looking book from the Ed McGuinness art. Rod does his sort of Bill Sienkiewicz, scratchy, cool, weird, haunting style. I think it feels like Jerry and Zeb, as the writers on these two issues, are trying to one-up each other. Maybe not intentionally, maybe intentionally. With all the weird stuff that they throw in here, there's a shot of a Vespa, like a scooter, like zooming at Forge, who is the X-Men's resident genius and, and technology builder. And Forge is like complaining about this problem. He's like, oh, never had to fight anything as undignified as man eating mailboxes. <laughs> and then the, the scooter comes in saying, vroom, vroom, I ate my rider and you're next, macho man. It's bonkers. And Forge takes him down. <laughs> the scooter says, I just wanted to eat people. Sob, is that so wrong? I cracked up throughout this entire issue. It's hilarious while also being exceptionally creepy. Rod's art is perfect for this series because you get his weird exaggerated style that big eyes, big teeth, scratchy lines, um, sometimes photorealistic while also being exceptionally uh, expressive and emotive in ways that only we really see in the pages of comics. It is gorgeous. This is also, ding dong, a little bit of a Spider-Man and his amazing friends reunion because we have Iceman, Firestar, and Spider-Man together to fight the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. I will say nothing more than that is one of my favorite sequences in all of comics, maybe for our year 2022. Uh, on top of that, we've got Havoc in his very skimpy classic Inferno outfit, which if you want abs, you want thighs, you're getting them here for uh, Alex Summers, aka Havoc, plus lots of cool Madeline Pryor stuff, lots of weird dark stuff as the the storyline really is coming together for Dark Web. You've got two people who are very angry, who have dealt with a lot of stuff, who are missing pieces of their lives, their memories, their identities, and they're taking it out on everyone. It's a blast. Dark Web is something I hope everybody checks out, whether you're a Spider-Man fan or an X-Men fan or just a general comic book fan. I think it's going to scratch a whole bunch of itches you didn't even know you had. All right, up next, we've got a big launch with Invincible Iron Man number one. This is also by Jerry Duggan, the writer, art by Juan Fregari, and colors by Brian Valencia, and lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. So we just wrapped up two years, give or take, of Iron Man stories by Christopher Cantwell and some amazing artists. And at the end of it, we had Tony basically spending his entire fortune to get weapons of mass destruction, like cosmic level mass destruction off the table. He bought anything and everything he could to try to stop them from getting into the wrong hands. And he sort of messed with some relationships in doing all that. Um, he came close to damaging his relationship with Ironheart, AKA Riri Williams. So 
that is a lot of what we're like diving into in this series. He still has Rhodey by his side. He still has some of his money, but here in you've got Tony kind of at a low point. And I think that allows for us to do a lot of fun stuff, probably allows Jerry to keep bringing him lower and lower. We get to see some hideouts of Tony's. We get to see people who are going after Tony in new and very dangerous ways. We get a lot of Tony's inner monologue. And part of that is the storytelling device that Jerry's using. It is the autobiography of Tony Stark. So you're actually getting Tony telling his own story through these pages as he's going through ups and downs and maybe not in his best place. Juan for Gary's art is very cool. It's very reminds me of Mike McCone in some points. It's very clear, concise. There's some good shading, uh, great acting, especially when Tony is having a conversation with She-Hulk. There's a really close up shot of Tony's eye and you can sense the, the weight of everything, the loss, the sort of damage he's going through right now on top of Excellent action. You've got another armored villain that shows up to cause a ton of problems for Tony. The revelations that you get throughout all that are brutal, brutal. Also, there's a very funny sequence, Jerry Duggan classic of Tony sitting in rubble, sort of trying to figure out what to do with his life. And he drops a Chinese food looking container with noodles. He just drops it on the floor and a guy walking by just goes littering bleep. And it's really funny. It is Tony just being like, excuse me, this is the Stark Museum of Litter. Main attraction, my life, which gives you a sense of what we're doing. The ending, I will not spoil, but I can't wait to see where this story goes and how it involves Riri Williams, Rhodey, and Tony's very, very messed up life. So if you're ready for a new Iron Man title, please jump on with Invincible Iron Man number one. All right, fourth pick of the week is another launch. It is Monica Rambeau, Photon Number One, written by Eve L. Ewing, art by Luca Maresca with Ivan Fiorelli, and colors by Carlos Lopez, lettering by VCs Clayton Cowles. This one is very exciting because we've had Monica in a ton of places over the last couple of years, whether it's been Ultimates, it's been Defenders, we've seen her in various Avengers titles, of course there's Next Wave, a lot of stuff, and... Monica's been in and out of different things. This is a shining spotlight on Monica. We've got a great costume that is black, white, and this like shining gold light around her. It's her living her life, going to her favorite bodega, talking to her cousin, talking to her parents, talking to friends, dealing with um, repercussions of her choices, her romantic life. There's also a lot of great stuff to give a sense of where she's come from, who she is, what she's dealt with, which is important because I think a lot of readers will come into this not knowing a whole ton about Monica Rambeau. I think that's kind of the point for this series and why it's really, really helpful. You also get a team up with not just Doctor Strange and Wong, but also Spider-Man, which is fun to bring them into this title. And in the team up really gets a sense of there's something bigger at play in the storyline. Evaluing of course, has been doing great work for a number of titles for us over the last couple of years. So it's really cool for her to take this and flesh out Monica in ways that uh, I don't think we've really seen before, giving her family a bigger stake in who she is and, and where she's come from, uh, where she's going as well. And by the end of this, we get to propel 
Monica into big adventures and still get that personal hook. So it's something that I think is going to be very important for us as as fans of the character to really learn more about, dive in and become not just Angelique Roche, one of the co-hosts of Women of Marvel and Marvel's Voices favorite characters, but maybe your favorite character too, dear listener. So we'll see. Definitely check out Monica Rambeau, Photon number one. All right, now it is time for our community section and our award section. Last week, our award was the Can We Eat Him Award, which was found in the pages of Thor number 29. And the first person to find that was Max Lorem at my own underscore voice on Twitter, who said, call me Craven because every week I do not rest until I found the quote. It may be a most dangerous game, but it is my life now. Even hell wouldn't stop me. Max, that gave me much joy. Great job. You were the first. Uh, Thank you for finding it. We also had some other notes in here. We had an email from Eric Hale who said, Can We Eat Him is in Thor number 29. Tough to find this week with so many books out, but here it is. And I haven't been able to write in for a while because life has been hectic with work, taking care of our kiddo, writing my next novel, and preparing for baby number two, which is coming in April of 2023. But I'm still out there in the ether listening to the show each week. In the event I don't get to write in again before the holidays, I hope you both get to enjoy some relaxing time with family. And Eric also sent some really cute animal and baby photos from when his family went to visit their friend's alpaca farm recently. Just adorable and um, well done all around, Eric, living that great life. Congrats to you and your family and have wonderful, wonderful holidays. Also wanted to shout out to Richard Lee for a great job finding the quote this week. You were you weren't first, buddy, but I appreciate your persistence. Keep at it, please. And Karis Pollard, you didn't find it, but you read some great dang comic books. So, hey, you're always a winner. All right. Also this week, we had some great emails and messages from some of our other listeners from Mitch Krumputich, who found last week's award-winning phrase from Strange Number 8. He said, I'm loving this series, aka Strange, along with Moon Knight from writer Jed McKay. I'll continue to sing his praises as he's my favorite comic writer. I'm excited to see his work in the Dark Web event. I'd also love to hear from him on your show at some point. Well, Mitch, pal of ours, you are in luck. If you dig back into the archives, you can hear Jed McKay on the show. He came on our February 1st, 2022 episode, which is, I believe, number 198. He came on to the Reading Club to talk about his Daughters of the Dragon deep cuts story and a ton more. And this is really fun. If you are a fan of his Moon Knight story, this Daughters of the Dragon series does tie into that in a way that we didn't know it would back in the day. Uh, Jed is just cool because he pulls in threads from his previous work and brings it into new light. So definitely check out that episode. Again, that's number 198 from February 1st, 2022. And then read Daughters of the Dragon, Deep Cuts. It's really good. Jed is tremendous. We got an email from Joe Hoffman who said, Your reading club discussion about the Thunderbolts was great. I'm really enjoying reading the current run of this team of misfits, and I'll definitely have to check out the previous run of the series on Marvel Unlimited. 
I also really enjoyed you talking about the Avengers Assemble Alpha number one on your latest show. I just got caught up on Jason Aaron's awesome Avengers Forever series, and I can't wait to pick up my copy of Avengers Assemble, which is waiting for me at my new favorite comic book shop, Elite Comics in Overland Park, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City, where Jason had a comic book signing the day before Thanksgiving. I'm sure that Jason and his genius creative teams have a wild ride in store for us, and I can't wait to get rolling down the road with them. All right, we got a new addition to our United States of Pull list from Sarah at Sarah Plain Tired, who said, listening to your conversation on Marvel's Pull list about Rise of the Midnight Suns, and I was happy to hear that I wasn't alone in my thoughts of Johnny Blaze not feeling like my Ghost Rider. And you can add Wave Comics in Skippick, Pennsylvania to your local comic shop list. Thank you, Sarah. I think that's part of the joy of us having legacy characters like these, where we can have Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider, Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider. Uh, we can have Kushala, the Spirit Rider. We can have, of course, Danny Ketch, Ghost Rider, and more. And maybe everybody who comes to these characters for the first time has that connection to them. I think there's going to be a bunch of people who their Wolverine is maybe Laura as opposed to Logan. And I think that's terrific. So that kind of stuff makes me really happy. I'm glad to hear you're with us on the Dan Ketch train, even though, boy, oh boy, that train has been off the tracks more often than not over his career as a ghostwriter. Nonetheless, we love him. Thank you again for your message, Sarah. All right, so that is from all of y'all. It is time now for this week's award name. I've chosen our award name as the... My Brain is a Four-Course Meal Award. Again, that's My Brain is a Four-Course Meal. You, listeners, will have to find that in the pages of this week's comics. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us, email is probably better, at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're among the first, uh, maybe I'll send you a surprise for something. Who knows? We'll see. Stay tuned. All right. Again, that quote for this week, the award is, my brain is a four-course meal. Won't tell you where it comes from, because that would spoil the whole gig, but I am going to give that out to the rest of our comics this week, starting with Deadpool number two, which, first off, man, I love this book so much. It's so wild, so over the top, so unnecessarily grody and full of innuendo and hilarious. Right at Alyssa Wong, they're doing some terrific stuff. Artist Martin Cocolo just gets to draw disgusting things. I'm going to give my my brain as a four course meal award to like half the issue in which Deadpool has a arm coming out of his mouth. And it's disgusting and wonderful. The the panel in which it explodes out of his mouth, he says, Bleh! this is the closest approximation to the sound effect. And the reaction from the reaction from Doc Ock is, oh, God, and horror as blood splaps S-P-L-A-P upon his face. It is disgusting and i love it not for the squeamish but come on you're reading deadpool i don't think you're that squeamish enjoy the book <laughs> it's friggin' great on to legion of x number eight really fun series exploring sort of these cops of the x-men side of things they're here to try to keep the spark alive as it were for all mutant kind and they're dealing with a lot of really dangerous stuff uh we get to see the 
inclusion of the current Black Knight into the storyline because they are a mutant and they have some big connections to both mutant kind and even sort of the magic side of things. But I will give our My Brain is a Four Course Meal award to what they're doing in this series, Sysbury or the writer in particular, with Sean Cassidy, a.k.a. Banshee, and taking a concept that is well known in the Marvel Universe, not an X-Men concept, a more mystical side of things, a darker side of the Marvel Universe, and twisting it in a really cool way, taking it in a very new direction while still giving us Banshee. It's it's neat. I don't want to spoil too much, but we get a lot of revelations about what's going on with Banshee in this issue. So definitely check it out. Also this week, we have Planet Hulk World Breaker number two, which sees Grandpa Cho. If you didn't read the first issue, you, you won't know, but there's a Amadeus Cho in here on Planet Hulk. And he is called Grandpa by someone, which I really dig. It is not a like lovey-dovey story. I will say that. There's not like, oh, big hugs, Grandpa. No, but there's definitely funny bits about that stuff. We get to see Amadeus Cho, a.k.a. Grandpa Cho, leading this character around Planet Hulk, trying to figure out how to save some people. And it's it's kind of a tour of the Hulk's as a whole, we are getting to see more of the Hulks, what their fates have been, because this is about a thousand years in the future. I will give the My Brain is a Four Course Meal Award to the two Hulks who pop up in this issue. It is not good for most people. I will say that, but I love what Greg Pak is doing, building out this world, thinking of a future and, you know, the Hulks don't really die. So what happens a thousand years from the future? Where are they? What have they been through? There's a lot of really cool world building throughout all this. And world-breaking, obviously. We've got issue eight of Savage Avengers this week, and this one is just like everything is going wrong for all the heroes. So I'm going to give the My Brain is a Four Course Meal Award to that feeling of everything going horrible. Watching characters get mercilessly murdered, destroyed, exploded, stabbed, eviscerated, just gnarly, messed up ways by the big bad of this storyline. I love it. It actually has old school what if vibes for me where it's just bleak and nasty. There's a panel in here in which uh, this is not too much of a spoiler, but Weapon H is just kind of melted and gooey while also being giant and hulky. It is disgusting. Carlos Magno doing really cool work in this. It's a gnarly, gnarly issue. I keep saying that word, but I think it fits very appropriately. Finally, rounding out our books this week is issue six of Star Wars, The Mandalorian. This one is The Prisoner. It's an adaptation of the episode in which Mando helps some, I don't want to call them co-workers, compatriots, former buddies of his, but they're kind of those things break somebody out of prison. And it was, I remember the episode very clearly. We get to see this and how they take uh, that episode and spin it into a comic book series. Some cool moments in here, especially, of course, your boy, Grogu. I'm going to give our My Brain is a Four Course Meal Award to Lil Grogu, getting his little bits and pieces in here. All right, that is it for our new issues this week. We did not have a lot, as I mentioned, but there's still plenty more for you because on the collections front, we are in the midst of holiday season. Lots of collections being released now digitally and in print. My favorite may be the name of the omnibus for Venom, which is called the Venomnibus. 
by Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman. It is tremendous. There's also collections for X-Men 92, House of 92, Wolverine by Benjamin Percy, Volume 4, Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor, and the most important collection anyone out there can get in this year or any other, there's a new printing of the X-Men Epic Collection Executioner Song. And if you don't have it already, you need it. It is truly the greatest form of any storytelling art ever created in history. And there's no hyperbole therein. Over on Marvel Unlimited, we've got a ton of new Infinity Comics for you. Test Kitchen number four, new issues of X-Men Unlimited, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited. We've got Marvel's Voices with the Family Snicked, Avengers Electric Rain, Love Unlimited, and a new issue of It's Jeff. So tons of stuff on MU. Make sure you have your app and your subscription because you also get a bunch of new comics added to Marvel Unlimited this week. The first issue of the current run of Alien, which is terrific. Issue six of Ghost Rider, which if I remember correctly, might be the start of where I really started to come into loving this book even more. It's definitely revving up, pun intended, and issue six is great. It is a weird, very dark book. So definitely check that out. We are also in the midst of Axe Judgment Day as the issues are hitting Marvel Unlimited. So Immortal X-Men number six is a big one and it is terrific. It is in Marvel Unlimited this week if you missed it when it was originally released. Lots more. Put up the whole list over on Marvel.com or in your Marvel Unlimited app. Go read some great comics on MU. Great comics like the first six issues of the current X-Men run by writer Jerry Duggan, artist Pepe Larraz, Javier Pina, and Zay Carlos, because that's what we're talking with David Nakayama about right now in our reading club. Jasmine, I hope you are fearless as we get into our conversation with David Nakayama here on Marvel's Pull List. Hello, David. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Glad to talk with you. Me too. I'm so happy you're here. I mentioned you being fearless because we will be talking about X-Men Fearless, the first arc of the current series of X-Men by uh, Jerry Duggan, the writer, and with beautiful art. We'll get into all that in a little bit. But first things first, David... Where did you grow up and were you a comic book reader when you were a kid? Yeah, I, I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii, where I'm still sitting right here, same house today. But I grew up reading comics, you know, around 12, 13. Uh, comics were really hitting big in this in this country. And even before that, every, you know, young guy friend that I knew in the neighborhood was reading them and, and showing them to me. And uh, at one point, someone put an Extinction Agenda X-Men, Uncanny X-Men in front of me. I saw that Jim Lee art and that was it. That was it. I was like, okay, I'm both a comic reader and I want to be a comic artist now <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's a good introduction. Jasmine, we haven't done Extinction Agenda yet. No, we haven't. But I saw your eyes just open like, like just wide in the minute he said Extinction Agenda. I was like, oh, that's going get, to get put onto the, uh, <laughs> the list of reading clubs for the future. Oh. Yeah, it's the second best 90s X-Men crossover. What's the first? Executioner song. Without Whoa. question. There you go. Without question. We're not going to go down that <laughs> rabbit hole. We could be here for another like two days. David, did you get to read the entire story or did you just have that one issue and then that was it for a while? So it, it was weird. I, I sort of got that one issue and then I was like looking through his stuff and then it started percolating in my mind. 
And then my dad would take me to these local comic stores and I started picking them on my own. And of course, I picked the, you know, the latest uncanny issue among my first stack of books. And it was like 278. It was, it was the issue where like 16 artists are drawing two pages each, something like that, uh, with, a, with a great Jim Lee, Lila Cheney cover. Um, and then I just, I collected them ever since, like literally all these years. <laughs> That's so cool. Do you, did you have like a particular comic book shop? Do you have, do you go to multiple? Like, what was that like? What was your comic shop experience like? Yeah. Comic shops in Hawaii were, were interesting. Like a lot of people will fondly remember a, a set of stores called Jellies. That was my first shop. They're gone now, unfortunately. Oh. I started going to a place called Geckos and that place unfortunately has, has recently gone away too. But it, but my entire life up until last year, that was the store that I, that I went to. And it was where I, uh, you know, like every time you know, a big event book would come out. That was the thing. Like me and my dad and my brother would go to the comic store and get the big books. And we, you know, uh, it, was, it was an allowance issue. I only had so much money to buy comics. So me and my brother would team up. We'd say, okay, I'll buy these. You buy those. We'll read them together. That's how it rolled when we were kids. That's the way to do it. Do you have a current shop? Current shop is a wonderful place called Other Realms. Jasmine, we can fill in Hawaii on the United States. <gasps> oh my Polis. God, we can. That was my I goal. Didn't... I didn't think we were ever going to get like Hawaii or Alaska. And now I'm so excited. I'm totally filling that in. So David, just to fill you in, we do a United States of Pullist where we Yay. ask listeners to submit, you know, their, their local comic shops and where they're from. So we have representatives across like the country and like the East coast has just been dominating it, but like we've slowly been filling in the Midwest and like slowly moving West. So I'm very excited that we have Hawaii. And now Hawaii. Yes. yes. Your bingo yeah, so card excited. is complete. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's roll on into our reading club because we are talking about X-Men issues one through six from the current series that uh, began in 2021, written by Jerry Duggan. Pencils through uh, the first three by Pepe Larraz, as well as number six. Javier Pina does issues four and five, and Zay Carlos also on five. Uh, Colors by Marte Gracia through most of it, and Eric Arciniega. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And that's that's a hell of a squad to put on this book. So good. Um, tell us a little bit, David, why did you choose this series? As a gigantic X-Men fan, this was obviously top of pile for me. It has, I think, maybe the best monthly artist working on it. Jerry Duggan is incredible uh, as well. You know, I, I got to love him on his Deadpool run, and then it was a natural uh, fit for him coming over to X-Men. So it's like you were saying before, this is like a dream squad, excellent writing, like world-class art. I mean, what, what's not to love? I, and it's X-Men too. So it's, and that doesn't happen every day, right? Where like both of the creators, you know, writer and artist are like triple A and it's like a triple A team. All comics are great, but I mean, this is, what more could you ask for? Yeah. So big series. This is the sort of after the Hellfire Gala, when we get a new team of X-Men, but also we get the revelation that the X-Men have terraformed Mars and turned it into Araco. And so it's headlong into all kinds of things. The thing that really got me because David Jasmine and I read every single comic every week, we read everything that comes out and, and we read some stuff for our reading clubs as well. But because we're reading so much for the show, I don't get to go back and reread things as often as I may like and so I haven't read this. I haven't read any of the Krakoan stuff over again, aside from when I needed to read it for a reading club or the first time through. So this mm. was a, my first time going back to it. And I, I 
you know, where I was reading it monthly when it was coming out, now reading it in one sitting, I am amazed and flabbergasted and so just gobsmacked by Jerry Duggan's ability to set up and spin one million different yes. plates. It like, <laughs> <Right>. He's like, <laughs> okay, cool. We've got Mars. Boom. We've got Fenlong. Boom. We've got yeah. uh, Orcus. Boom. We've got the Cordyceps Jones, Jones game, yeah. game yes. the the Casino World. We've got um, High Evolutionary. We've got Sinister. We've got uh, Stasis. We've got Laura and um, Sync. The the Wolverine and Sync drama. Yes, like brought that back. That's yep. just a, a little tiny bit of all the things that that are brought up with the, within these first six issues. In most yep. cases, the first three. Yeah, it's wild. Yes, you have. Yes, there's so many things going. I'm so glad that you said that. Because that's it. Yeah. I felt the same way when we're reading it. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize how much he set up in the first three issues. But like, even like Ben Urich investigating the resurrection of mutants and like, there's so much going on in these books. And it, it, it reminded me a lot of Frank Quietly and, and Grant Morrison's uh, new X-Men new run X-Men. where it's like, I remember reading it for the first time. I'm like, wow, there's so much that happens in these first couple of issues. There's so many things that are set up. And I'm like, it, didn't feel like that when I was reading it monthly. Like I remember reading it monthly and be like, oh, that's cool. And like I really enjoyed this book. I thought it was a phenomenal issue, single issue, but reading it all as a whole mm-hmm. yeah, was just it's spectacular. Right. And it I also had that experience. Uh I think it just shows the the confidence of of the writer here. You know, like you read it and it feels like the lightest book. It's just it's a it's a quick and enjoyable read. And it's I don't know how to describe it other than light. You know, it's it it goes down easy. Um, but then there's just a million things happening, and that's you can't do that uh, without confidence. The way the way he's, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's amazing. You know, confidence is a great way to describe this book because it's, and it, it's not arrogance. It is confidence in their the stories that they're telling, the characters that they have at their ready, at the the creators themselves, like jerry knowing what pepe and javier and zay are are capable of of them knowing like okay i can go big on a story because i know jerry's going to provide like there you can tell it's it's almost like the the idea of a mutant circuit that we have in the krakoan age where one character's powers and really like elevate another character so that they become more than the sum total of their parts when you put Jerry together with Pepe and Marte and, and Clayton, they become <laughs> a more powerful unit together. It's like when they, they turn into the rope, they the create robot, the robot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yes. Talk about another thread. That's like, we're going to leave this here as a lighthouse and you know, maybe we'll come back to it. And I'm like, I forgot all about that. Me too. <laughs> There's no shortage of things that future X storylines could pick up on and, and play with further if they wanted to. I also, I, on the topic of the robot, before we move on from that, I, I applaud Mr. LaRoz for coming up with that design. It is so unexpected. Uh, yes. Like, it, it could have easily just been a Gundam, you know, but yeah. he, he just went there and invented something completely different, whole cloth. And, and not just that, but like every time, like Cordyceps, uh, Space Casino or whatever, or the, the treehouse in, in, in New York City, all of these are incredible designs. They're great. I remember when this issue came out, I sent this page of that full robot together to someone on our consumer products team being like, I want this. Can you make this for me? <laughs> and like, obviously at that point, it is way too late 
because the, 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 like the process, the length of time it takes to make something like this. But I was, I was immediately like, this is a thing I want to own. I want a little statue of that, that robot there. It's just so rad. It reminds me of like a giant minion, like a robotic minion. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of, it's sort of weirdly cute. It really is cute. It's so cute. The other thing I was going to mention was the, the you mentioned the, the treehouse design and like some of the the layout work in that first issue when we're first introduced to that. Again, it goes back to what Ryan, where you were saying about the like the circuit, the mutant circuit with these creators, because it's like not only do you have Pepe Laraz just like really laying out this like treehouse, how it works, all the rooms, you can see the community spaces. It's almost like a cutout, and it's so well done in in both the art and the writing because at the same time you have jerry duggan writing cyclops as he's welcoming in polaris into the x-men and like showing her around the place but it it doesn't feel like oh and here is this room and here is that room it feels very like yeah we're going to be dealing with this probably not going to have a whole lot of time to throw parties here so don't expect to like you know don't worry too much about the community spaces and the spaces to entertain like and lorna's like okay cool like i just I want my room already. Can I like <laughs> someone take my bags already? And it's like, it's done very lightheartedly, but at the same time, it's just all of this world building and you really get to see this, this treehouse being like fleshed out and it feels like a, a giant, like fun set piece. Yeah. I, w- I would add that in the whole Krakoa era of X-Men, it just, the new status quo has just gone down so easy. You know, like I love the Island of Krakoa. I love what's happened to Mars. I love this treehouse. It all just, it works for me. Like right away, it's it's a comfortable fit. It's, even though it's a brand new status quo, I never felt like I had to get used to it. I just felt like, yeah, that's great. I love this. Let's let's work with this for a while. Yeah, they're all happy. <laughs> they're they're just fun. Uh, each new addition that they add, I keep wondering what they're gonna what they're gonna do each month. <laughs> Thinking about the these designs and the the look of this book, and and like what you said, David, like Pepe's choice for what this mech looked like. Partially, I wonder if it is a result of our expanded cultural references. You know, Pepe is from Spain. I know he's in Madrid right now. And when we grow up, a lot more of our comics were created by people in the States, right? It started in really in like New York City and slowly expanded from there. And still, we have a lot of people in the States making our comics. But we have been really fortunate to have folks from around the world creating the most mainstream superhero comics for us and bringing different perspectives, bringing different, like maybe there's different movies or television shows that they watched as kids or different sci-fi that they got into or whatever it was providing a different perspective to their own influences helps give us fresh eyes on on characters that we've known for 60 years and we love and you know i I look at especially rereading and looking at pepe's art here it just there's just something different and beautiful and cool and weird that it it doesn't it's not there's no house style that it fits into in the best way possible no you're right he's utterly unique and besides being like one of the best designers uh, around, like not just the characters, uh, but the environment stuff. He's also got the most dynamic figure drawing I can think of. He's always putting the camera, you know, in really difficult spots. The, the, and the entire team is descending on you in a couple of very memorable, mm-hmm. you know, splash pages. It seems effortless the way he does it as well. Can't give enough credit. Pepe's eyebrow game as well in his characters. <laughs> I was just is, about to say, 
Phenomenal. I love Polaris. I've always loved Polaris. Pip is Polaris. My absolute favorite. Because it's like he does a really good job at like with acting of these characters, but showing their like personality with their acting. And yes. David, you just mentioned something about uh, how he has a, he puts a, the camera in difficult angles. And one of my favorite scenes, it's an issue number two, is when it's Polaris and Jean Grey going into the monster. Mm. And it's, there's one page, it's that first page where they're inside where it's like completely dark. And it's just kind of like, you can't really see what's, what is all there but you can kind of see like the edges and it's like all creepy crawly and like it makes it feel claustrophobic it makes it feel very like scary but then you get that eyebrow game in the next panel where you see polaris is like just very grossed out like ew what's going on like she's creeped out she's making jokes and then the next angle is like a very tight close-up of jean gray's like in in a, in a profile shot where she's just like, you can tell she's like, I'm here to get this mission done. Like, shut up, Polaris, for a second. Like, she, she, <laughs> he does a really good job at like not only the acting and the facial work, but also just like you have these two different characters who are so different from each other, and like how they both bring out these personalities in each other. And like Pippin just does a really good job at like I love when he pairs characters off because he, he just plays off of each, off each one of the characters. And then that final shot in that page is like a super far pulled out shot with that where it's like, a, again, a very narrow, like you can barely see what's going on in there, but you're like, oh yeah, they're in the gut of this giant like annihilation wave monster. And I'll, I'll add too, like there are little moments that I think originate in this book, such as Polaris's uh, addiction to coffee. Did that, did that not start <laughs> yes. in this book? Yes. I don't know who invented that writer or artist, but I love it. I, I want that to be her thing forever. <laughs> Talking about Pepe, I feel like we could spend a long time that, but I also want to want to give flowers to Marte. Oh, uh, yes. Marte Gracia. Yes. Been quietly at Marvel for almost 15 years, maybe 15 years. I, I'd have to look at wow. exactly, but like just doing the work. And then I'm looking at a page in the casino and when Cordycep Jones first reveals and comes out of the spacesuit and that right there is just like it's a, a phenomenal character design it's wild but the the levels of color the greens and the browns and the reds and the the way it all flows together it looks so natural mm -hmm. for something that is this like fungal alien monster <laughs> thing it's beautiful it is absolutely yeah. stunning besides having just the best palette, like the, the colors he's selecting on a panel by panel basis are perfect. And besides having great rendering, besides setting the mood, he's also going in there with these little painterly touches that I always pick up on, I always enjoy. Recently, I've noticed him doing like striated textures across forms. You know, he'll put banded little highlights that enhance the sense of texture on things that wasn't there in the pencils, but definitely enhances them. Uh, I, I think he invented that. I've never seen anyone do that before quite that way. So major props to Mr. Gracia. Are you talking about like on the, on the characters' faces? I would have to actually go back and find an example for you, but like across fabric, across arms, uh, if you look really closely, it's not in the pencils, but there are these like moments where texture has been added specifically in the color phase. That's so cool. When you're doing your, your cover work, especially because your covers are so dynamic and you know you have these big bold colors around them are you sort of thinking of a colorway that you want to have or, or like a schema for a cover before you even start drawing the, the your figures for those kind of covers absolutely 
with these what I call color bleed covers or with the Hellfire Gala covers, which are largely single color backgrounds, when you know you're going for that kind of very spare background approach, then the choice of color is very important. And in my head, what I'm thinking about is, you know, this is a t-shirt design. This is a poster design. This is a spot illustration. This thing has to exist anywhere. And what it does is it, it puts all the emphasis usually on the character's face, right? Because like the background will be a color. Most of their costume will be that same color. And so all that's left is the other color and their face. And I think that is why it pops, you know, because mm -hmm. your eye just naturally, like an arrow going to a target goes straight to that face in a way that it wouldn't if there were other things competing for your attention on the same cover. So this is that classic less is more art thing. And that's why I, I think those work. I, I wouldn't necessarily want to do all the covers for the rest of my life that way, but I think it's a really fun theme that I want to continue to do for a long time. You know, one of the things we don't see a lot in your covers, and I was thinking about it here, we get the Reavers showing up or introducing a whole bunch of like cool villains, classic villains, new villains in the storyline. We don't see a lot of villains in your covers. I know we have Doom uh, recently and some here and there, but Destiny, who are some yeah. of your favorite villains? Who who can we get you to, con <laughs> who, who can we talk to to convince you to draw on some of your future covers? Oh gosh, I, it, I know things about the future. So your yeah, your villain yeah, 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 your yeah, villain yeah. thing will itch will be scratched. Um, yes, uh, I think this is just a function of I hope to be on for more main covers, you know, more series uh, if possible. Editors, if you're listening, please hire me for a series. When we get to do that, then we get to start telling the story. You know, when the Midnight Suns confront Doom in issue two, that's the main point of the comic. Uh, so Doom gets front and center placement in a way that he wouldn't if we were doing a retailer variant cover. You're going to go for Wolverine. You're going to go for Rogue perhaps first before you go to Dr. Doom. And when we're trying to tell a story on these covers, absolutely. Dr. Doom fighting the team is the story. So it gets the front and center treatment. Um, and you won't believe what happens on number five. That's a very villain centric cover. I only just found out about where Midnight Sense is building to. I'm so psyched <laughs> about it. <laughs> now Ooh, I want to know. I like a yeah. Love a good tease. No, you don't want to know. You want to let the surprise happen. I do want the surprise, but I'm the also surprise just is like, better. But the surprise comes later. I can get the surprise now. No spoilers for you. Fine. You'll be. You'll like it. It's a good surprise. I'm curious because it's like I know we've talked to other cover artists and we've we've talked to them about like you know do you always want to do covers? Is it do you ever see yourself doing interiors? Is that something that you even want to do? Like. Or do you like telling the, that story on a cover itself? Like I know a, a couple of cover artists who are like, no, I just like the like one single storytelling like <laughs> uh, dimension. And it's like, that's that's valid. That's that's a gorgeous like piece of work. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I definitely spent many years doing the, you know, the interior thing and I like it. Um, it is hard work, no doubt about it. The thing I like about covers though, is the the illustrator in me where I get to get into the fine details of things. You know, it's not about, I need to turn this page around today. How do I get it done quickly? It's about, oh, I, I can spend two or three days like really getting into the textures and the lighting and really thinking this through and making like the ultimate perfect illustration. I really like that. That's the most compelling proposition about cover work for me. And I don't feel like I have to sacrifice storytelling in order to be a cover artist. I feel like I'm telling a story all the time on covers. So I don't feel like I lost anything switching to covers. So there's, I guess I'd be very happy to continue doing that forever. On the other hand, there's a part of me that definitely wants to, you know, go try my hand at interiors again, you know? So if there was the correct 
short-term opportunity with Marvel. I might think about it. I've definitely thought about, you know, my own stories someday, but uh, yeah, maybe someday. That's awesome. I love asking like cover artists or interior artists uh, if they would ever <laughs> do the opposite. Cause it's like, I don't know. Like I, I love, I love learning these little details and nuggets about like people's work and why, why they like doing what they do. Yeah. They're, they're both fun. It's, it's, it's hard to, and, and I, you know what, one more thing you really can't say enough about Pepe Larraz, but uh, the fact that he can do his cover quality artwork on all interior pages and then keep it up monthly is really, really rare in, in comics. There's like four guys that can do that in all of comics, um, especially at his level. It's, it's just remarkable. It's really unique. Man has superpowers. <laughs> no doubt. When I had finished the read through earlier today, uh-huh. and I remember just sitting on that last shot of Cyclops, and I thought about how successful it was from a, an emotional storytelling standpoint that we had this this introduction to this new X-Men team, six issues, big new villains and, and big, big events and their, their new headquarters and and all kinds of really cool, bombastic, bright, exciting, crazy things. And it ends on Cyclops crumpled into like a, a heap in the subway devastated because he he knows that the situation is out of his control and that things have gone wrong and in a way he does not want them to it's such an interesting and really powerful move to take that big superhero swing and go in all these great places and end it on this really wonderful sad emotional beat that's a jerry duggan move right there you guys he's just gonna (laughs) gonna kick you that scene parallels so well with that first issue when you have ben yurik coming in and Cyclops is just owning the conversation. He's just like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the big shot. I'm the superstar. But then he like shrinks down in that last page. Like he is tiny in that, in that last page. Uh, it's a pretty good comic. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> every it's every good. part of it. There's, there's no downsides. <laughs> it was an easy one to talk about, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with us about this. And we look forward to you doing interiors and covers on a future series. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you heard it here first. And a giant mech that's featured in X-Men number one, Marvel Legends, box art. <laughs> thank you, David. This was awesome. Definitely my pleasure. Anytime. Big thanks once again to David for coming on the show. David's the best. He's terrific. I got to see him at New York Comic Con this year. I think that was after we recorded this interview, but we got to talk to him. And just the sweetheart gave me a box of Hawaiian chocolate macadamia nuts, which I I ate the whole thing very quickly. Not in like one sitting, but thank you, David. They were so good. I appreciate you. And I also, we very much appreciate all your art. Check out David's covers across many, many comics. The ones we talked about prominently are those magazine covers. Uh, So you can find them on a ton of different X-Men books this year, last year, hopefully next year too. But that about wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Once again, our email is pulllist at marvel.com. Send us a note if you find the quote or you just want to, you know, talk about the comics. You can use our hashtag Marvel's Pull List across all social media. And of course, we please ask you to rate, review, subscribe, but only rate and review if it's like the highest possible ratings and reviews. 
15 stars everywhere you go. And of course, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. That's, uh, that's it. I've talked to myself a whole bunch. See you later. I'm Ryan. This is Marvel, your universe.